Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And folks, I think we found spring this weekend. It should be a beautiful Saturday, warming up and very happy to have our panelist, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action with us. Robert, good to have you. Uh, good day, everyone. So folks, this is our first week sans Claire Zauke. We wish Claire well. Yesterday at Citizen Action, that was Wednesday, uh, we, had a, we had a going away party for Claire. We're very excited. Again, we wish her well as she heads off to Mayor Chevy Johnson administration. Claire, we will miss you, but we do go forward. This show has uh, been on for over a decade uh, and it it has made changes and there will be more changes coming to the show. We look forward to them. There's going to be a lot of exciting changes coming up and we'll talk more about that in the future. But first, Robert, I wanted to break something for our listeners. I, we've had it in the weekly the last week, but uh, that's Brewfest, our annual fundraiser at citizen action is back this year in person wednesday june 22nd tell our listeners a little bit more about why this is uh so important and this is also something that's been around uh shall we say a long time over a decade uh started around the act 10 protests if i recall maybe a little before that actually and um frankly it's it's uh one of the more fun progressive gatherings there is it's in milwaukee a new location and so you know now that we're out we're not out of the pandemic but it'll be summer so they can be can do things outdoors we have a brand new office on the uh near west side of milwaukee on valite street and so both it'll be an office opening uh we will have people be able to see each other for uh, you know a lot of people haven't been seeing each other for a while because of the pandemic particularly during the winter and uh, we'll have other new features this year, like we're going to start giving a Democracy Defenders Award uh, because there are people putting their, frankly, their careers and even their safety on the line for democracy. And we want to start recognizing that because we need a lot more courage, uh, not only to defend democracy, but to rebuild it. So, folks, again, that is Wednesday, June 22nd. In Milwaukee. We'll have more information. We're actually going to have a, a section on our website that's going to go live possibly as early as Friday. It might be next week. Keep an eye out for it where you can go on, get a little more information about it and also make a commitment. Sign up. RSVP. Let us know you want to come. Let us know you want to start seeing people again. Again, we'll try to uh, keep it as safe as possible, but folks, we really hope you can make the brew fest. So Robert, uh, we have a lot to talk about this week. Um, I want to start by just saying we're really happy Isaiah Holmes from the Wisconsin Examiner is going to join us later in the show. Um, so we look forward to that. But before that happens, Robert, the big news uh, that broke, geez, uh, about as late on Friday as a bad news, crappy news, shall we say undemocratic, horrible jurisprudence news could break and that is the redistricting the state supreme court dropped the big bombshell late last friday that uh it was going to take the republican state legislative maps 
and we talked on the show, the congressional maps, they took the governor's maps, but looks like Robert, we're going to have to run under what are some of the most gerrymandered maps. First of all, Wisconsin already had some of the most gerrymandered maps in the country. And these are worse uh, by a journal Sentinel uh, expert. Uh, I think a Marquette university expert who took a look at the data. We're talking about three competitive assembly races out of 99. And we're talking about in a 50, 50 election, 63 Republican seats. It's insane. It's insane. But that's what we got, Robert. Your thoughts. We've talked about this in, in terms of consequences for a long time, but now we're getting even more real consequences. There has been a right-wing strategy to take over the courts for, for quite some time. And by right-wing, I also mean a corporate strategy. I want to remind people that the state Supreme Court, it's a strategy that goes back to the 90s and was led by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and Wisconsin's equivalent Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce. They're also the people who brought you uh, costing the state billions of dollars by removing, basically making manufacturing tax-free in this country with not, no strings attached under Walker, among other things, and uh, funding the entire rise of the Scott Walkers and the Robin Vosses. And they started, the courts used to be sleepy elections where independent judges and, and lawyers ran for office, raised their own money, uh, in the old Wisconsin tradition, we believed in having a lot of elected offices, and they made them big spending corporate things where sleazy ads were run, accusing people of terrible things, etc. And that is how they got the court. The Democrats have responded in recent decades, but they have a they have a majority. We know everyone knows how what Donald Trump did to steal a U.S. Supreme Court seat and create an even more unrepresentative Supreme Court, which in no way reflects the outcome of, of national or presidential elections over the last two decades at all and, and cements in not just a right-wing majority, a Trump right-wing majority. And so we got batted back between these two uh, anti-democratic institutions. The U.S. Supreme Court in its shadow docket intervened without precedent and put standards on what they on the maps that were approved the the governor evers maps they have not been applied before there was a scathing set dissent by justice sotomayor uh, in the minority and then it came back to the state supreme court which refused to take any evidence from the evers lawyers that would have provided that the documentation required that we actually need six african-american districts to meet the voting rights act and the state Supreme Court waited to the very last minute, said there isn't any more time. Hagedorn, the one uh, somewhat independent judge on the right, switched sides. And now we have districts where there are two competitive assembly districts, according to Marquette University. And it locks in a natural, is it a 66 seat to, to 33 Republican majority or is it 63 to 36, Matt, you tell me. It's 63 to 30. Sorry, so, sorry. I, I mentioned those numbers earlier. I was on 63 mute. <laughs> and then 23 out of 33 state yes. Senate and uh, only two competitive assembly districts, i.e. most people, most incumbents aren't going to be tested seriously as far as their performance. L look, let's talk about Hagedorn here, because that's really I mean, I 
you did a really good sort of summary of the scenario that brought us here, but the specifics here are the fl- is the flip of Hagerdor, right? And uh, the Cap Times had an editorial. They described it as a shameful abandonment of uh, Wisconsin's Wisconsin democracy and racial equity. And um, Robert, they really get to the point actually with that <laughs> that headline around. Really, he says, "Oh, there wasn't enough time." to try to really take a look at this. They didn't do anything, right? Um, they, they just basically punted. And the racial equity piece here is r- really appalling. The notion that these were kicked back because we went from six, which was a slight underrepresentation, to seven, which is a slight, quote, overrepresentation, down to five, right? Like, these these are clearly like what what happened on 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 equity is appalling is appalling right and then of course just on basic democracy the notion that they didn't try to hustle didn't grab any information from evers didn't try to even look deeper even hagedorn admits there are some things here that probably ought to be looked into further like oh but please we didn't have time and so we're going to just clearly have horrible gerrymandered maps on just partisan and then on the racial equity it's just it's ridiculous and i'm sorry to listen to a i don't know if folks heard will this is the the right wing legal arm that's that, to do for law and liberty yep. Ill name. oh <laughs> appalling that justification that somehow they said that oh it's just it goes wrong when when courts and when government gets involved in in race and then said we learned that during jim crow oh what they were trying to suggest that somehow what they're doing here is like uh, it, it was it was like unbelievable it was like gaslighting on jim crow i, I it was i couldn't believe what they were well, saying it's like all the gas writing on Martin Luther King Jr. and what he really stood for, right? Coming well, it was right. it was the logic of a five-year-old, like I, like a child. It was unbelievable that this well, guy was asserting that somehow this was Fox, in the line Fox of news. Is that it's unfair to five-year-olds to talk about the emotional level of Tucker Carlson or um, uh, John Hannity? So we could never rely on Hagedorn. I mean, the fact they'd be independent some of the time. He did say that uh, with more, you know, documentation, the maps could be changed for the f- last eight years. Of course, then he used the deadline to switch sides. Uh, but you understand that conservative jurisdiction is heads, you, heads they win, tails you lose. In other words, you always lose. And so the Voting Rights Act has been being undermined by the Roberts Court so that it doesn't protect the right to vote. And now it was just used to defend a partisan gerrymander, which a, a grossly partisan gerrymander, which um, reduces the number of black districts. And by the way, this is the thing that people aren't thinking about enough. As the black members are all going to be Democrats, it guarantees them complete powerlessness in the legislature. And so the overall partisan gerrymander of the whole state also disempowers African-Americans because the only way they will have a voice in state government is if Democrats can possibly have majorities. Well. We gotta take our first breath. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin Citizen Action. Welcome back 
to the battleground, Wisconsin. Folks, the last thing I want to quickly say on redistricting as progressives means we are going to have to look. First of all, these maps will be fought. Robert brought that on. But let's just understand if we're operating under these maps, it's going to matter what kind of legislators get elected in these Democratic seats, in these gerrymandered seats. There's going to be a very, very minor margin for error if we reelect a Governor Evers. And so it's going to matter who wins some of these seats. There's a lot of open Democratic seats, safe Democratic seats. There's some contested seats. I want to say there's probably going to be a, a dozen by the time um, we're done here. And it's going to matter who replaces those folks. We need progressives as progressives within the Democratic Party to be very active in these primaries. So we need to support candidates who are going to be, you know, strong vision on on our platform, on a long term agenda. Um, And obviously, I mean, at a bare minimum, supporting the governor on any critical budget or, you know, veto override kind of vote. So I just wanted to throw that out there. That is one thing that these maps make critical for us in terms of um, thinking about what kind of party we would need to go forward with in the legislature over the next decade um, to, to have the kind of Wisconsin we want, as opposed to becoming, let's just say it, a, you know, a Southern state that doesn't have a strong uh, state democracy. Robert, without, final I, thoughts. Yeah. Without calling out any particular leaders, let me just say that Democrats have had a be safe you know, kind of approach, right? Try to appeal to the middle in an era. This is one of the reasons there's been a swing and a natural swing in elections and urban rural divide in Wisconsin. We don't have ticket splitters anymore. There is not this huge group of moderate middle voters choosing between two sides. If they were, why would they choose the most extreme right-wing side? So we need to elect progressives and progressives who are fighters because we're moving into an era Whereas the courts are going to rig the moxie against you, we need to have elected leaders on the Democratic side that will use all the power we have left, not only to protect average people, but also to protect and expand democracy. And I, there's a real frustration. You see it with Merrick Garland at the national level. You see it with Josh Call here, where Republicans use every single element of power available. Look at what these two right-wing courts just did. And Democrats ha- do hand-wringing and say, well, you know, we're looking at it, but we have to be careful, even when there are clear legal violations. Which and we'll and get to always later. so shocked. Always so shocked at the actions. It's like, yeah, we should not be shocked. We should not be but shocked we anymore. Not be demoralized because right. we have to maintain the override, so we can't walk away from the legislature. In addition, we may end up nightmare scenario is if a couple races determine whether the legislature can override the governor and it's a democratic governor because they have to worry Evers could win re-election, then those become huge money races. And state assembly, state senate races in California are substantially more expensive than congressional races. That's what that's how crazy this could be. The two competitive districts suddenly become the millions oh, and millions spent in one little district in order, Robert- in order to determine. Robert, that's already been happening the last few cycles because of the just massive amounts of independent and money that has, has flowed into the state. So it's only going to get worse. We're going to be talking about multi-million dollar 
uh, state legislative seats, which is going to be insane. And oh, gosh, the poor voters in those uh, districts. <laughs> Anyways, you'll be receiving a lot of democracy headed your way. Ugh. Anyways, um, Robert, the other news this week, and I'm going to really lean on you for some level of analysis because uh, I have not <laughs> had the time to, but I do appreciate the importance of it. And that is uh, Governor Evers. Uh, they announced a clean energy plan this week, um, which let's let's be clear. It is the first ever <laughs> clean energy plan in the state that even begins to start to address and acknowledge that there's a real crisis that we face in terms of the climate genocide, as you so often are calling it on the show, and what is a proper, adequate response from our government to start to solve it. So, Robert, tell us a little bit more about what's in it and what it means. Yeah, and it's important, folks, to understand this is really important in a context where in the United States, the Republican Party is the only major party in any advanced democracy that is climate denying. Okay, conservatives in Europe, in the developed uh, Asian democracies, all even if they have different solutions, uh, agree there's a there's a climate crisis. So that that's what the situation we faced in. And we just talked about Democrats need to be bold. This is an evolution in the boldness of Governor Evers, which is ideal as an agenda setting move before a major election, because this is a very top public issue, as it should be. And so I wouldn't say, I mean, it, it's fine to call it a plan, but it's not a it nuts and bolts plan with all the funding and all the implementation. It's a framework. It's a commitment to a clear direction with clear goals. And it's a process for figuring that out, okay, and different pathways to do so. But it does commit to actually getting to 100% renewable and 100% renewable energy and, and meeting the climate targets. But the way that in an election year and they're thinking about what is top of public mind, it is framed in terms of things such as inflation. And that is a huge thing because the utilities are telling a big lie out there that, it, that it's more expensive to go to renewables when they've become way down in price. It's more expensive, but it's their business model to stick with coal or try to go on natural gas as some unnecessary intermediate, which actually makes things worse and prevents us from actually doing what we need to do. And so Governor Evers is framing this both as an inflation fighter and as a jobs creator and uh, projecting 40,000 new green jobs by 2030 if we actually do this. Now that requires a legislature that will work with you. So really this is more about beginning to set a clear contrast. And we have sometimes critiqued Governor Evers for not doing that. Uh, we will be in future weeks offering some more meat and potatoes proposals on how you'd achieve this vision, not because it's inconsistent with Governor Evers, but because ultimately in the legislative side, legislators start need to be start introducing bills that actually try to achieve this goal and debating how to do it. And we're we and our allies, a couple of our key allies in the Senate and Assembly, will be also setting a perspective for this election. Oh, I will say one other thing, Matt, and that is. There is a rhetorical focus on equity, 
which is a change in the mainline Democratic Party. Uh, folks don't fully recognize this, but President Biden's uh, not only his goal, how he wants all the money that has already been enacted or the infrastructure bill and the American Rescue Plan and could be in the budget reconciliation package, that 40% of the benefits have to go to marginalized and people of color communities. It's called Justice 40. And Evers is adopting Biden's Justice 40 standards. We've not ever seen anything like that since the 1960s. Now, saying it is a lot is a, lot, is a different thing than achieving it. But we do we should give praise to at least starting to say that 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 is what the outcomes of policy should be. That is an evolution in the among the moderate Democrats. Yeah, well, look, I think it, it's got to be central to the argument because it's not this. If, if we're going to achieve this and do historic type structural change, which this is an opportunity to do. I mean, Jesus Christ, we should be celebrating I think, Robert, I've heard you say this, celebrating the idea that we can move past this fossil fuel economy that has not been good for us, all of us, and for our community. It hasn't. And we just need to own that, right? Like, Jesus, you know, and this is an opportunity to address that. And if those two things are not aligned, right, like, yeah, it's, we're, it's just shame on us. And, and and it also will not be majoritarian in terms of its support and where there's energy and passion to do things that are historic in nature like this. Um, so anyways, it's, well, I'm I was glad it's say, in there. I was going to say real quick work that, without it, Robert. I was going to say real quick that it's both species threatening, but just to put a, funny, a, a point on what you were saying, it, the economy that has grown up since the 70s has been terrible for Wisconsin. Gutting the manufacturing sector and creating this low road economy has been dreadful. And it's caught, moved us from having the, 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 the most robust African middle class in the country of any city in Milwaukee to the worst and getting worse. And we're, we're talking about another way it's gotten worse in, in, in the next segment, I know. But I'm just gonna say that we this, this state should be at the front of the line on the green transition and creating a new economy and structuring it right this time and getting out of the, the economy of the last 40 years. But do you know what? Our renewable levels are, are, are substantially lower than all the surrounding states, including even Iowa, which is not known as a progressive bastion, not only Minnesota and Illinois. And I know we're not used to saying Illinois is more progressive, but unfortunately, Illinois is more progressive on a lot of things right now, given the retrograde so, leadership of the Badger state. So with that, we're going to take our next break. When we come back, as I previewed, we're going to be joined by Isaiah Holmes from the Wisconsin Examiner. I can now say award-winning Isaiah Holmes. We'll preview him doing just amazing work. And um, uh, that showed up again this week. Some very important uh, information about where we are with housing and particularly renters and how that impacts disproportionately people of color. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, your citizen action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Folks, we're really uh, we're lucky to be joined by Isaiah Holmes. He's extraordinarily busy. Would have loved to have had him on. Tried to get him to come on for the whole panel, but folks, he's doing a lot of work. He's super busy, the examiner. If you don't read it, you should read it every damn day. Isaiah Holmes, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, first of all, okay, I'm going to just 
heap a little praise on you, Isaiah, because we haven't had you on the battleground in a little while. You've been on many times before uh, and you did uh, do you've been on. Uh, this is not that for a number of shows. It's outstanding. It's in a hiatus, I understand. But since we've had you on, you've won a number of awards for for your work, particularly your environmental and other work uh, covering, you know, this state and just want to congratulate you and uh, thank you for for the work that you and the, the your whole team at the examiner does. Um, it is unmatched in any other place in the state. So thank you. Thanks. Uh, uh, thanks a lot for that. Um, uh, I, I tend not to, um, I tend to kind of underpraise myself, you know, um, yeah, that's I, why I, I said it. Cause I yeah. know you would, you would, you wouldn't even ever mention it, but I just wanted to mention it because I think it's important that it's been noticed. Um, and, uh, the, the examiner's in, indispensable and the journalism that y'all do there is uh, more critical now than it ever has been as we see uh, the old for-profit model just disintegrate. So, oh yeah. 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 And that's a whole separate show, but Isaiah, we had you on because we, I, I saw your story this week about 47% of African American mm -hmm. runners and 31% of Hispanic runners behind on payments and just this, huge gap and disparity that um, this report really helped quantify. Tell our listeners more about your story and then and why it's so important. Yep. Yeah, sure. So um, essentially the story uh, uh, covered a report that was done by, by a uh, organization called Help Advisor, which does a lot of uh, kind of analysis and, cons and uh, consulting type uh, work for, uh, you know, uh, topics from like insurance to housing to different things like that. And, you know, they kind of synthesize a lot of data and then use that to kind of help uh, kind of, you know, advise, you know, like advise people on just how certain conditions are And this particular, and they do all kinds of reports, but this particular report they did uh, was on housing and it looked at uh, rates across, you know, uh, rates of, uh, people being behind on rent across the country. Uh, and it drawed uh, from US census data uh, from uh, the uh, household pulse survey. And particularly it focused on the weeks of March uh, 2nd to the 14th of this year. And it found that Wisconsin for black renters uh, is, has the highest rate in the nation, 47.4% of a black renters uh, who responded to that who responded to that survey and you know in the state of Wisconsin are are uh, behind on their rent and then as you mentioned for Hispanics it was it was thirty one percent by comparison um, white renters uh, the uh, rate was eight percent so for black renters that's that was the worst that was the highest rate in the nation and then for Hispanic renters it was the third those are staggering numbers Isaiah um, it in you spoke with a, uh, I believe, a, a senior editor over there. I mean, did they have that same response? I mean, one of the good things about your journalism is this stat is out there. You found it and brought it to life and, and, and saw how important it was. Did they have a sense that this was pretty staggering number oh, yeah. of inequity? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of and, and, you know, for them, because they uh, focused on, you know, like a nationwide kind of perspective, they uh, saw a lot of uh, states that had like pretty stark disparities. But for Wisconsin, yeah, they uh, 
they were um they were pretty um yeah like like i guess shocked is like the uh the uh right word for it actually i think a quote uh uh from the editor that i talked to over there he said that the 47 percent is a really kind of scary because like you can imagine those are like people who are like a you know eviction is kind of hanging over their heads or like the possibility of being evicted because they're behind on their rent um and i say so, it when you th- yeah. when i when i first think about this we if right milwaukee very segregated city so we're talking could you imagine in you know heavy, heavily african-american communities the thought that half of the folks who rent and live in your community are behind on their that's a staggering um instability and not you know any uh, yeah uh, yeah right so like so like i think that you know for people who live within those communities it it it, it may be shocking or start to hear the actual number, but from their lived experience, it's, 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 it's uh, unsurprising, you know, they see it every day. And unfortunately it's kind of just one of these yet another statistic uh, where um, Wisconsin uh, uh, really is an outlier in the country when it comes to the incarceration of black and brown people, it leads in that elite you know uh, the highest rates of uh of uh of uh of uh, this uh, issue of people being behind on rent and meanwhile in milwaukee you have this situation playing out with evictions with big uh property owners like a uh, beretta properties and uh, a lot and you know other companies too but beretta is a big name uh in fact the wisconsin doj recently uh filed a lawsuit against beretta for kind of a lot of their renting practices uh that has been an issue even during the pandemic when evictions weren't supposed to be happening on through to today. And if I could tell just a really brief anecdote, you know, I was, I went to see a friend of mine who was kind of, uh, uh, our friend kind of owns this video shop, this small video shop on the east side of Milwaukee. And my other friend was over there. He was just kind of using their internet because he had just moved into a new place. And they had all these VHSs, like a big table, like hundreds of VHSs. And we were like, where did this all come from? They said, yeah, this lady, uh, this like property owner said that they're evicting a lot of the people. And this is like their property, basically. You know, this is like the stuff that was left over. And they're, you know, they got boxes and boxes of this stuff and all the video stores all the little shows stores like that are having influxes like that so that's kind of just a, a gut-sinking oh, anecdote yeah. you know it's gross yeah, yeah robert man. robert i want to give you a chance to ask a question yeah and any uh anyone who's read like matthew desmond's book evicted which focuses on milwaukee is is not shocked either but i think also we know it because, you know, Raphael Smith, our climate equity director, he's leading a team of organizers building an organizing base in the north side of Milwaukee, and they're running into it, you know, door after door, call after call. Um, and uh, and his team and Rafi himself are, live in that community and are from that community. So, you know, you're doing great work, Isaiah. I remember talking to you when you, I think you were brand new at the Neighborhood News Service. So it's been right. great to get to watch your journalistic career develop and you stay here in Wisconsin and you report these stories and, and this is the kind of journalism we need a lot more of. So I'm so thrilled that you've done that. You know, you were clearly a talented young guy at the beginning, but it's great to see this, you know, you, you do this and, and take this career path. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And, you know, it, yeah. And in terms of like staying in Wisconsin, I mean, like in a way, you know, someone has to, you know, it's, it's, you know, a lot of people are like, why don't, you know, like, you know, like, uh, you know, the world is really big and it's like, there's a lot of issues here and, you know, this is our home, my home, and it could be a lot better. And the role that I've chosen is to just facilitate the flow of useful information. And I know a lot of people really liked uh, the uh, Tosa stories and there are more of those to come. The stories yet to be over, but obviously I try to have a wide net of, of uh, topics to, to cover, you know. That was tremendous, the coverage of the Tosa police during the Black Lives Matter protests. And folks, you go back and find those on the Wisconsin Examiner website if you didn't read them to our audience. And it's very eye-opening, shocking. It's helping change Wauwatosa, yeah. right? Wauwatosa yeah. elected its first African-American uh, alders uh, yep. and elected officials. Uh, someone who grew up in Wauwatosa, right down the street, up the street from Tosa East. It's um, it's absolutely critical. So here's my here's yeah, my your quick, question, Robert. <laughs> yeah, that is, um, you know, I, I often talk about how uh, even people who say they're on the right side here, elected officials, others don't even offer solutions at the scale of this of the problem that would actually address it. But I want to point to something else. We often see all these things as as siloed like housing is just a matter of housing and we need somehow affordable housing and we do this little project which doesn't do the broader situation in your article you point out based on this research that there actually isn't a correlation between the price of housing in a region and the number of people who are behind on their rent which tells you you bring up mass incarceration and wisconsin leading the country in that but Milwaukee, African-American is also 50th out of 50 in economic and health wellness, according to UWM Center Economic Development, a great study done in 2020. So folks, if they don't have the, if we don't create family supporting jobs like existed in the manufacturing era, the jobs that drew black folks here during the great migration, Milwaukee was the last outpost, then there's, then that's fundamental. That's why we keep talking about the climate transition being key if we do it right. If we do it wrong, it'll re redo current inequality. So I know we're getting to break, Matt, but I'd love if, if Isaiah's staying for another segment, his comments on this is, it's not just the housing, you gotta deal with the income and people having access to the American dream and real family supporting wages. Yeah, we gotta take a quick break. Isaiah, I know you only agreed to one segment, so. Could you hold with us to answer yeah, that sure. on the back end? Awesome. Just one All answer, right. then we'll All right, folks, <laughs> you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Isaiah, you were just about to respond to, to Robert's great question right before we had to go to break. Isaiah, your thoughts? Yeah, you know, uh, like Robert said, you know, it's it's not just a housing issue. And in fact, there's a a very clear uh, intersection between a lot of these uh, various issues, you know, incarceration, um, incarceration, housing, um, uh, uh, prevalence of, you know, like prevalence of mental health issues and stress and trauma in, uh, 
in uh, the community, you know, uh, gun violence, gun violence is even uh, kind of a link to housing, of housing insecurity. I found, you know, I learned about that uh, for the article I wrote on homicides, which also looked at like the correlation between concealed carry license issues and uh, the homicide rate in Milwaukee. Um, and, you know, an interesting point of the report was, was that lack of core, uh, was that kind of lack of correlation between like housing prices and like eviction, and, and like eviction rates or people being behind on rent. Uh, that was kind of more so like a national kind of thing, like a, a help advisor just found from place to place that just, you know, uh, certain situations are uh, different, I think, for different parts of the country. And in Wisconsin, we have a really interesting situation where, uh, especially when you're talking about um, uh, black and brown people, uh, a lot of the state's population of black and brown people are really coalesced in a single city or a single county. And uh, the population overall, you know, of Milwaukee is like 500,000, 600,000 people. So it's a kind of a small sample size, you know what I mean? To have all these issues kind of compounding, um, you know, the, the nation's most incarcerated zip code, et cetera. Uh, uh, yeah, there, 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 uh, there are a lot of ways that these, uh, these uh, issues intersect and manifest. And if, if there was kind of a, a uh, I feel like, in terms of policy decisions, some of the kind of inspiration or will is there amongst certain people or, or, or some or some parts of the legislature, but it, it, it of the state legislature, but the system uh, and we another that's another topic, but the gerrymandered districts and everything it it it, it creates this kind of system where it's 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 rigged to not change yeah. you know it, it's it's rigged to kind of create this uh, almost de facto flow of of people in and out of the system you know and uh, just a final thought you you uh mentioned you know economic prosperity and jobs uh i think that uh you know uh uh, uh you know just the other day uh in the capital they had a, a, a public hearing on a on a medicinal cannabis bill introduced by a Republican uh, senator, and one of the things that people brought up was that that bill basically excludes uh, people who have prior drug convictions. So there, there's just this. It's like it's really easy to get a record here, especially if you're black and brown. And then once you have that record, it's very very hard to continue on with your life and build from there. You know. So yeah. Well, one other thing that. Also, that is going on here that is extremely troubling in Milwaukee, I, I would say, is the rent rates mm. in lower income areas are astronomical. And virtually, it's almost like it doesn't matter where you like try to rent, you're paying insanely high, high prices, right? And, and I think that that is... Oh, it's immoral, right? And it's got to be looked at. There just really isn't really well, truly Matthew, access to affordable housing in, in, in this community anymore. Matthew Desmond's oh. book links it to the hypersegregation, and these folks can't shop the whole metro area. They're right. excluded from a lot of it. And therefore, the relative rates, like the value of the house versus the cost, is much higher on the north side of Milwaukee than it is in suburban areas or in predominantly white areas. It's getting mm -hmm. worse, too. It's It got really worse in the pandemic. So anyways, but Isaiah, we really appreciate 
uh, your time and also appreciate the, uh, the story and taking the time to come on today and talk more with us about it. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'd be happy to come on again anytime. Oh, well, I guess we'll just have to make that happen, sir. Cheers. All right, Isaiah, thank you. Get back to work. I know I'm going to produce another one of your stories. Uh, and again, thank everyone over at the examiner for the great work y'all do. Yeah, I'm sure, our audience. <laughs> I'm sure your editors have you in deadline. So we hope we can get in the way. <laughs> oh, not all right. at all. Thank, thank you guys. You. Bye, Isaiah. And with that, folks, we've got to dive in. Robert, I just wanted to give you if there was anything else you wanted to say about this story and just the broader topic uh, before we transition. But um, always, always good to talk with Isaiah. Well, this is a perfect transition. His research shows why we need to reinvent the economy in a way that is equitable and to restore the jobs of the people who need the most. And if we do a green transition in the current economic model, it will reproduce current inequality and it won't do anything about, say, this housing crisis. So Isaiah did a great job showing these interconnected. And the other way they're interconnected is we have the money to solve the housing crisis. We have to take on the private health insurance market. This is commodification, just like medical is in healthcare, right? And in fact, since the Great Recession, when a Democratic administration didn't save the people who were evicted, big venture capital firms and out-of-state people have come and bought up this, uh, bought up a lot of the rental property in the north side of Milwaukee, and this is an exploitation model. But having said that, there's, it doesn't take action. There's the money to provide fair housing to everyone, affordable housing, if we had fair taxation, Matt. So I know I want to tee you up for our next topic. Yes. Well, folks, you know, I'm sure if you're like most people, you had to pay your taxes. <laughs> I know, I know it's a weird thing. But the truth is, uh, this Monday was the day. Uh, especially if you're a late filer, a procrastinator, or someone who tries to wait till the very end, just out of principle, <laughs> you knew that Monday was uh, the day you had to have your taxes in or get your extensions in if you didn't do that. But this isn't a public service announcement about tax day. Uh, we did an event because it is, it's, it's an important day to take stock in kind of how our modern democracy works and functions. And one of the most important aspects of that is the revenue and where do those, those resources come from and taxes are critical. And Robert, uh, we released a study that day with Congressman Mark Pocan uh, that showed during the pandemic, billionaires in Wisconsin, I believe there's eight of them, you can correct me with the facts, you know, those silly things. Eight billionaires who saw their wealth go up significantly, I believe about 51%, certainly over like 50%, which is a staggering number. And also this goes with the idea that we know uh, folks at the top end, Elon Musk, a whole bunch of them very famously are not paying their fair share of taxes when most of us do. And, you know, there's a perfectly damn good solution out there, billionaires tax that uh, we could be supporting. But Robert, tell our listeners a little bit more about the, what the research showed and why it's so important to like an actual political fight going on right now in Congress. We've been doing these uh, releases on how the, the billionaires are doing in Wisconsin. 
connected to our partners in other states that have been doing such releases nationally in, the, in other states. And Mark Pocan was great agreeing to join us. Um, and they're doing great because we have a system that's rigged to put most of the economic benefits for our economy to the top 0.1%. And so it's really eye-opening to see that during the pandemic alone, the eight billionaires in Wisconsin have seen their net worth increase by $19 billion, that's billion, and they and gone up 50%. So you take someone like John Menard, right? Uh, he's the, most, the wealthiest person in Wisconsin. He was worth um, 11 million, bill, uh, he was worth 11 billion 500. Now he's worth 15 billion. Wetlands, John. And you know what? They pay less taxes. And that's what this is about. They have both rigged the economy to their benefit, but they pay less taxes because they make their m money on wealth accumulation, dividends, stock price increases. They don't pay taxes unless they sell them, which they don't need to because they've already have enough money for seven generations of grandchildren. And in addition, if they do sell anything, they pay a lower rate. And so we want to call attention to is, is that President Biden is the first president in five, five decades to propose really making folks starting to make folks say pair share is a billionaire's tax, which has a serious chance of passing and to require all these people to pay a 20% minimum tax. Seems fair without an amount of money, which is billions in federal revenue, you could actually do things like provide affordable housing, just for example, or have a climate transition that creates a fair economy that also prevents a, a climate disaster, runaway climate uh, change. Uh, I have a question for you, Robert. Is Joe Manchin a billionaire or is he just a millionaire? I think he's probably just a millionaire. We I'm have a chance. A oh my gosh, we have a chance. But are you telling me Joe he Manchin rig, he might support the Trump, a billionaire's tax? He rigged is the Trump okay? tax cuts. He rigged the Trump's tax cuts to be able to pass through more money to people like this and then said he was helping small business people. So that will be an issue. In this, so he's been going the opposite direction. The Trump tax cuts obviously were the opposite because the right is fake populist. They actually are doing work for John Menard, Diane Hendricks, this... Richard Eline. I'm talking about a couple other billionaires that are doing very well in Wisconsin and fund all the right-wing causes as well. Well, my hope is that cinema hasn't already made a billion dollars off of her pharmaceutical connections and probably imagine this. Oh, well, we should be worried i i know i'm 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 jesting but that Don't is the challenge i'm in our what, audience matt i know what can get by manchinema is congressman there, there, here, here's the scouting report yeah therefore substantial increases in um taxes for the wealthiest americans whether they'll sign off in the billionaires tax fully or not is not known is not fully known yet, but we can get major progress and maybe even the billionaires tax. And this debate is this spring. We don't yep. get it unless they're hearing from the public. So you'll be hearing from us about how you can plug in and make your voice heard. Yeah. And look, folks, I I'm kidding around because we all know. Right. And that's the first thing that goes through all of our heads when we hear about something getting through Congress. Right. And so uh that's what goes through our heads. But we know there are plenty of things that they are willing to support, and this might be one of them. And so with that, we got to wrap up this battleground, Wisconsin. We really appreciate it. Hey, folks, get out. Enjoy. 
spring it may be a little rainy too but it's going to be nice and warm finally so get out and enjoy it we want to thank isaiah holmes for joining us Uh, and again folks if you don't check out the examiner you should bookmark them on your phone on on your on your laptop wherever you uh receive your media and check them out daily thank you isaiah thank you all the folks at the examiner we'll see you next week at the battleground wisconsin